Go over into the book of Hebrews this morning, please. Please go in your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. I want to begin this morning by doing something that a preacher should really never do from the pulpit, and that is, I want to begin by asking you if you remember a sermon. I want to ask if you remember a sermon that I preached. I want to ask if you remember a sermon that I preached a few weeks ago back in January called Ordinary People. Do you remember a sermon I preached a few weeks ago called Ordinary People? I certainly know that you've slept since then. (laughs) I certainly know that when it comes to many people, they forget what a preacher talks about. After about a couple of hours after hearing the sermon, I, I, I get all of that, but I certainly hope you can at least recall some parts of that of that sermon. I certainly hope that you can recall how in that particular sermon we consider the honor roll of faith or the hall of faith that is mentioned in, in Hebrews chapter 11. We considered how even though people like Abraham and Noah and Rahab and Sarah and Moses were great servants of God who were highly commended by the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, they really were no different than us. They they really were no different than me and, and, and you. You see, like me and you, every person that is mentioned there in the hall of faith was ordinary. They were regular. They were just a bunch of average people who made a ton of mistakes in their lives, but they're still commended by the Lord. They still were able to please God at a very high level because they, they lived by faith. They walked by faith. They walked by belief and trust and the promises of God. That's what we studied together from Hebrews chapter 11 several weeks ago, and as you can probably tell, by just doing a casual glance at that chapter in front of you, every person that is mentioned there, every person that is mentioned in that chapter can be studied in the Old Testament, right? I mean, clearly those are all famous and well-known Old Testament Bible characters, but let me ask you this now. Let me ask you about the New Testament. What about the New Testament scriptures? I mean, are there any regular and ordinary people like us in the New Testament scriptures whose example can mold us and, and shape us and, and help us be the kind of people that God has, has called us to be? Do we have any examples of people like that in the gospel. Well, as you ponder on that for just a moment, I want you to go back in your Bible now to Acts chapter 18. We go back to Acts chapter 18. Here in Acts chapter 18, I submit to you that we find some more regular and ordinary people. We find some more just average people who were able to do some wonderful things for the Lord. Now, these people that I'm going to talk with you about this morning, I'm pretty sure that they're probably not on your Mount Rushmore list of Bible characters. I'm pretty sure they're not people that you think of often. They're not people like Paul 
or Peter or John or Luke or Matthew or Timothy. You see, unlike those people, these people I'm going to talk with you about this morning, they didn't write any books of the New Testament. They don't have any epistles that are named after them. They didn't do miracles. They didn't give sight to the blind and and cast demons out of people and and raise the dead. They were not apostles or, or prophets. They were not even blessed to see the risen Savior with their own eyes. They didn't do any of those kinds of things. Instead, as I have suggested, they were ordinary. They were regular folks. They were just a bunch of average Joes who, despite their averageness, were able to do some wonderful and just incredible things for King Jesus. And so this morning in this study from the Word of God, I just want to give you a few spiritual snapshots of these people. I want to give you a few spiritual snapshots of a godly couple. I want to talk with you about Aquila and Priscilla this morning and We're actually introduced to them in the verses that Brother Rick read from this morning. We're introduced to them in Acts the 18th chapter. You see, here in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 down to about verse number 4, we learn from Luke, the writer of Acts, that the Apostle Paul became acquainted with Aquila and Priscilla when he left the city of Athens and began doing the work of God in the city of Corinth. In verse number two of that chapter, we see that Aquila and Priscilla were Jews who had been recently forced out of Italy due to persecution from the Roman government. Luke doesn't tell us if they were already Christians before they met the Apostle Paul. Maybe they were. Maybe they were not. We're left to speculate about that. But what Luke does tell us is he does tell us they were of the same trade as Paul. He does tell us that they had Jobs. He does tell us that they earn money in the tent making business. As Brother Ryan alluded to in his lesson this morning, Aquila and Priscilla were not idle people. They were not lazy sluggards in their society. They were not the kind of people who sat back and waited on a bunch of people in their culture to take care of them. No, according to what the Bible tells us, Aquila and Priscilla, that they worked. They were responsible people. They were people who got up every single day and they went to work. That is one of the first things the Bible tells us about this couple. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, brothers and sisters, but that's a big deal. That is a big deal to God. Having a job and earning money the right way, that's always been a big deal to God. In fact, that is one of the main things that we're told about many of God's servants in the Bible. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, think about it. Think about how far the concept of work goes back in the Bible. Think about how, going all the way back to the beginning, after God made Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden, one of the first things he told them to do is he told them to get to work, didn't he? 
He said, you roll up your sleeves and you work and you tend to that garden. From that example, we see that when it comes to the concept of work, work is almost literally as old as dirt, right? God told them to get to work. Work is found all the way back in the beginning. And then think about, think about some of the great Bible characters. Think about how when the Holy Spirit introduces us to people like David and Moses and Nehemiah and Peter and Matthew, like Aquila and Priscilla, one of the first things we learn about those people is they had jobs. They went to work. They were either shepherds or they were farmers or cupbearers or politicians or doctors or tax collectors or, or fishermen. Throughout the scriptures, we find so many of God's people busy at work. They had jobs. They were responsible people. In fact, not only do we have examples, numerous examples of people going to work in the Bible, but we also have a lot of direct teaching on this issue as well. Brother Ryan did an awesome job going to Proverbs chapter 6 and talking with us about that. Proverbs 6 is one of those places. In fact, as you've been, if you've been doing your Bible reading this year, and I hope you've been doing your Bible reading, if you've been keeping up with your Bible reading from the wisdom literature, you should have come across a lot of verses about work so far. Have you noticed those verses? You notice Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse four. The wise man Solomon says, poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Verse number five of that same chapter, Solomon goes on to say, he who gathers in the summer is a son of is a son of a wise man. But he who sleeps in the harvest, he who is a lazy person, is a son of someone who is a son who acts shamefully. It's a shameful thing to be a lazy person. That's what the Bible says. And think about the teaching of the Apostle Paul. I mean, not only do you find that being taught throughout the wisdom literature, but you ever thought about Paul's teaching? Remember 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10? That's a famous passage there. Paul says, if a man doesn't work, neither should he what? Neither should he eat. What a radical concept that is in our society today, right? And then look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11. Evidently, there were a lot of lazy people in the church at Thessalonica. And Paul has to deal with this quite a bit with them. And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, you need to make it your ambition. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and do what? Work with your hands. There that language is again, Brother Ryan. Work with your hands, he says, just as we have commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. I want you to notice three, three specific admonitions that Paul gives these brethren here in these verses. First, notice how in verse 11, Paul says that as Christians, as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make it, make it our ambition. The idea of making it our ambition means we need to be diligent. We need to make, be serious about it. We need to make a serious effort, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Lead a quiet life. The idea of leading a quiet life means 
that we don't need to be troublemakers in the church. We don't need to be the kind of people who are always looking for trouble. We don't need to be the kind of people who are always finding ourselves stuck right in the middle of some problem and controversy. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And then secondly, he also says that as Christians, we need to make it our ambition to attend to our own business. We need to attend to our own business. Our language today, we would say we need to mind our own business. I need to mind my own business. You need to mind your own business. And don't misunderstand that language does not mean that we don't have a right to be in each other's business when it comes to sin. But what it does mean is as Christians, we need to avoid being busybodies. We need to avoid meddling in affairs that have nothing to do with us. We need to be, avoid being the kind of people who are involved in gossip and rumors, spreading rumors. We need to make it our ambition to attend to our own business. And then thirdly, notice how he also says that as Christians, we need to make it our ambition to work. To work with our hands. In other words, we need to get a job. We need to get some employment. We need to be responsible. We need to do this in order to display a positive influence to people in the world and so we can avoid having to, to depend on other people to take care of us. That's what Paul says in verse number 12. Paul says we need to work with our hands. And let me tell you something, that's a message. What Paul is saying there is a message that we need to be especially mindful of in our time today. Wouldn't you agree? Living in a time when so many people, even so many Christians, it appears, have no problem being lazy and sitting back and allowing the government or maybe even the local church to take care of them. We need to always remember what the Bible says about work. We need to remember that according to the Bible, work is good. Work is honorable. Work is noble. Work is something that when we do it, we glorify God. That's what the Bible says about work. And so if you're somebody here this morning and you get up five or six days a week and you go to a job and you work hard on your job, please be encouraged by what the scriptures say about what you're doing. Please know that according to the Bible, you're doing what's right. You're doing exactly what God wants you to do. You're gaining money the right way. You are doing what God's people have been doing almost since the beginning of time. You're doing exactly what Priscilla and Aquila did. Priscilla and Aquila, they weren't lazy people. They had a job. That's the first thing that Luke tells us about them in the Bible. And we don't need to lightly just look over that. Priscilla and Aquila, they went to work. They were responsible people, but not only were they responsible people who had a job and made money the right way, the second thing we're told about them is they were the kind of people who courageously and lovingly corrected error. They courageously and lovingly corrected error. Go on your Bible now to Acts the 18th chapter again. This time, drop down to verse number 23. In verse number 23, we find the Apostle Paul about to begin his third preaching journey. And it says in verse number 23, and having spent some time there, after Paul spent some time back at his home congregation in Antioch, 
He left and passed successfully through Galatia, the, the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man. Notice what's said about Apollos. You don't find many people called eloquent in the Bible. He's an eloquent man. He came to Ephesus, and he wasn't just good in the scriptures. The Bible says this man was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla, here they go, here, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Let's just stop right there for all the women in the church this morning. Please circle that verse in your Bible. Highlight that verse. Underline that verse. Remember that verse. For anybody who says there's no work for a woman to do in the church, that it's wrong for a woman to teach in any way, they need to go read that verse. Priscilla, the wife, and Aquila, they're teaching, teaching together. Do you see that? Or is that just my Bible that says that? That's in the Bible. And then in verse 27, it goes on to say, And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he, Apollos, greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Notice how after introducing us to Priscilla and Aquila at the beginning of this chapter, here towards the end of the chapter, we're introduced to another important Bible character. We're introduced to Apollos. Luke mentions Apollos here. You see, like Priscilla and Aquila, Luke wants us to know that Apollos was also a Jew by birth, but he came from Alexandria. He came from Alexandria, Egypt. He came from what may have been the most sophisticated in the a city in the world at that time. And he was also very eloquent. He was also a great communicator. He was also a mighty and powerful presenter of the word of God. But he had a problem. He had a big problem. You see, while he was a powerful and zealous speaker of the word of God, unfortunately, he wasn't preaching the truth about one of the most important issues in the gospel, and that is the issue of baptism. Th that is the issue of immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins. You see, unfortunately, Apollos was trying to persuade the people in Ephesus to submit to a baptism that was no longer in force. That is the baptism of John. He's talking about John's baptism. He's unaware of the fact that John's baptism wasn't going to do anything for people now that the new covenant had been established. His actions remind me of something I've told you from the pulpit before. Remember, I've told you that when it comes to preachers who preach error in societies, there are usually two kinds of preachers who do that. There are the mean ones and there are the what? There's the green ones, right? You got the mean preachers who preach error, and you got the green preachers who preach error. Now, who are the mean ones? Well, the mean ones are those who intentionally teach error. These are your guys like Joel Osteen. These are your guys who know what the Bible says. They know what the Bible says about important issues like baptism. And once saved, always saved. 
and marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and homosexuality, and women preachers. They know what the Bible says about all that stuff, but guess what? They don't care. They're not going to tell people the truth about that stuff. You know why? Because they want to keep the collection plate full. They want to keep the pews full. That's the mentality that the mean preachers carry with them. But when it comes to the green preachers who preach error, they're in a whole different boat. They're in a whole different kind of, kind of category. You see, while what they are preaching is still wrong, unlike the mean preachers, the green ones, they, they just don't know any better. They're just naive. I mean, their heart may be in, in the right place. They may have good intentions, they may have a lot of zeal and passion in their preaching, but unfortunately, they don't have a lot of experience. They don't have a lot of knowledge of the Word of God. They're not very skilled in study in the, in the Word of God. They need somebody to have enough love and courage to pull them aside and help them. They need somebody to pull them aside and try to correct them. They need somebody to pull them aside and do for them what Priscilla and Aquila did for, for Apollos. See, when Priscilla and Aquila noticed that Apollos was teaching error, when it came to baptism, I want you to notice what they didn't do. They didn't go and gossip about his error to other people in the church. They didn't do that, did they? They didn't go up to him and blast him. They didn't go up to him and embarrass him in public. They didn't shout at him. They didn't scream at him. They didn't say, you're wrong and you're going to hell. You're just a bad person because of what you're saying right now. They didn't do that stuff, did they? No, they didn't do that stuff. You know what they did? They did something that seems to be very radical in the minds of a lot of people today. And that is they took him aside in private and they helped him. They taught him. They patiently and gently explained to him the way of God more accurately. That's what they did. And let's just be honest about it this morning. That's not always easy to do. That's not always easy to do for a lot of people. You see, when a lot of people, when a lot of Christians find themselves in a situation like Priscilla and Aquila, you know what the easy thing for them to do is? The easy thing for them to do is to do the opposite. The easy thing for them to do is to chastise, to embarrass somebody, to humiliate somebody, to discourage and emotionally beat somebody to a pulp. That's the easy thing for a lot of people to do. It is much more difficult to be like Priscilla and Aquila. It is much more difficult to see a new convert doing something wrong, teaching some error, and then asking them to go to coffee with you the next day so you can sit with them and gently and patiently just talk to them. So you can gently and patiently help them see the error of their way so that you can sit down with them and, and open up the Bible with them and, and study with them. Pray with them, encourage them, maybe even take the time to answer the questions they may have about, about their error. That's what Priscilla and Aquila did for Apollos. Let me just ask you, have you ever had any Pris Priscilla's and Aquila's in your life? 
You ever had those kind of people in your life? I have. As much as Sean Jeffries messes up, I've had a bunch of them. I've had a lot of Priscilla's and Aquila's, and I thank God for every single one of them. I thank God for all the Christian men and the Christian women that I've encountered in my life who've seen me just doing a bunch of immature stuff and things that are just flat out wrong, but they didn't give up on me. They didn't rip me to shreds. They didn't publicly humiliate me. Instead, you know what they did? They just pulled me aside and they invested time helping me. They were patient and gentle with me. They assumed the best in my folly. They expressed a sincere desire to just help me be the best that I could be for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for all the Priscilla and Aquilas that I've met in my life. And I hope you're thankful for those people as well. The Bible says that Priscilla and Aquila, when they saw Apollos teaching error, they courageously and they lovingly helped him correct that error. And to Apollo's credit, he received their instructions with humility and grace, and he became better for the Lord as a result, right? But then we come to a third thing I want to tell you about these people, and that's found in Romans chapter 16. Go in your Bible now to Romans chapter 16, and look at Romans 16 and verse 3. Will you look at Romans 16 and verse 3? In Romans the 16th chapter in verse number 3, Paul says this. He says, greet Prisca, Prisca is Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my what? My fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Notice how in the Bible, not only do we learn that Priscilla and Aquila worked hard at their tent making profession, but we also see that they worked hard in the church. We also see that they were fellow workers in the church. They were fellow workers with the Apostle Paul. Paul calls them fellow workers in the church. Now, what kind of work did they do in the church? Well, let's just keep reading. In verse number 4, Romans 16, after mentioning Prisca and Aquila, he says, who for my life, for my life, risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. What a radical verse that is. Gentile churches are being thankful towards these Jewish Christians, these two Jewish Christians, that is amazing. That's, that's a whole sermon in itself right there. These people were very influential. They got Gentiles praising them. But then he goes on to say in verse 5, also greet the church that is where? It's in their house. Paul said this in the book of Romans. Where was Priscilla and Aquila from originally? They were from Rome. They're from Italy. They're back home again. They're back home in Rome at this time. And they're not just back home in Rome, but the church in Rome is meeting in their house. That's what Paul says. But this wasn't the only church they met in their house. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. Many believe that 1 Corinthians was written several years before the book of Romans. It was written before Romans. And in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19, Verse 19, Paul says, the churches of Asia, Brother Mitch is teaching us about the churches of Asia, the seven churches of Asia, the churches of Asia Minor. Paul says, the churches of Asia greet you. Priscilla or Aquila and Prisca or Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church 
That's where? In their house. So Paul here is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's writing it from one of the seven or from one of the churches of Asia, probably the church at Ephesus. So you have the church in Rome that would meet in their house later. But at this time, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, there's a church in Asia meeting in their house. This is probably the church at Ephesus. during a time when you didn't have these nice church buildings. And we're blessed to have in our time today, Priscilla and Aquila were using their home to provide a place of assembly for Christians. They were using their home to provide a place of assembly for Christians to do what we are doing this morning. That was the work that they were involved in in the first century. And let me tell you something, that was some important work. That was some necessary work. That was some critical service they were offering the people of God. You see, according to the Apostle Paul, Priscilla and Aquila were not two people who just filled a pew on Sunday. They were not two people who were just satisfied with just showing up for church. They were not two people who believed that the sum total of Christianity was just getting perfect attendance to the worship assembly. That wasn't who they were. They were workers. They were fellow workers. They were heavily invested in the work of God. That's what Paul tells us about his friends. And here's my question. My question is, what about us? What about me? What about, about you? Are, are you like Priscilla and Aquila? Are you a worker in the church? Are you a fellow worker in the church? Are you doing something maybe behind the curtain right now that is helping this church thrive and, and flourish? Or are you merely filling a pew? Are you merely a spectator? Or are you someone who believes that having Perfect church attendance, that's good enough to glorify God. Does that describe you? Someone says, well, well Sean, I want to be involved in the work of the church. I want to be involved in what's going on around here. I want to be a teacher. I want to be someone who, who checks in on the sick and on those who haven't been to services in quite some time because of the pandemic. I want to be somebody who steps out of my comfort zone and tries to set up a Bible study with a lost person. I want to do that kind of stuff, but I'm just too busy. I, I, I have just too much going on in my life right now. I got this job that's, that's just too demanding in my life right now. Maybe there's somebody here who's thinking that kind of stuff right now. And if you're thinking that kind of stuff, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that yes, you may have a job that's very demanding on your life right now, but Priscilla and Aquila, they had jobs too. Didn't they have jobs? They had jobs. They had a career. They were making money but they didn't let making money and being involved in their career get in the way of them being fellow workers in the kingdom. They didn't let their jobs get in the way of them being busy about spiritual things. They were two disciples who clearly had their priorities in order, didn't they? They were fellow workers in the church. 
But then we come to the fourth and final thing I want to say this morning about them. And it's probably the most obvious thing, but we got to say something anyway. And that is, let's talk about their marriage. They clearly had a godly marriage. Would you agree with that? You know, maybe you've noticed this before. But it is interesting to me how every time in the New Testament, when these two people are mentioned, they're always mentioned together, aren't they? You never find one name without the other. They're always mentioned side by side. They're always mentioned as serving God as a couple, as a godly Christian couple. I love it. Going back to Acts 18, remember when it came to correcting the teaching, the erroneous teaching of Apollos? The Bible says they did that together. They did it together. Remember Romans 16 and verse 5 tells us that they were housing the church in Rome together. And then look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is the last time Paul's going to mention them in the Bible. In fact, this is some of the last stuff we have from Paul, period. 2 Timothy is the last inspired epistle written by the Apostle Paul. After he writes 2 Timothy, he's going to die. He's going to be executed by the Roman government. And in some of his final words to Timothy, his friend before he dies, has to do with Priscilla and Aquila. And he says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Here we find another reference from Paul concerning Priscilla and Aquila, only this time they're not in Rome. This time they're not in Italy, like when Paul wrote the book of Romans. No, some time has elapsed since Paul wrote Romans. And guess where they're back at again? They're back in Ephesus. They're back in Ephesus. They're in the same place that Timothy is preaching in, according to 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3. Now, what in the world caused them to go back to Ephesus? Why are they back in Ephesus? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, and I'm not going to try to pretend to know. The Bible doesn't tell us why they're back in Ephesus, but what the Bible does tell us is even though they're in Ephesus, guess what? They're still together. They're still side by side. They're still working and serving the Lord together as a Christian couple. They clearly had a godly marriage. The question is, what about you? What about your marriage? Are you and your spouse currently serving the Lord together? I want to suggest that God certainly wants you to. God certainly wants us to. God certainly wants me and my wife and every person here this morning who is blessed to be married to a Christian to understand that when it comes to the relationship of marriage, marriage ain't all about us. It's not all about us. It's not all about us being absorbed in ourselves and making each other happy. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with you being happy in your marriage. But if you're not serving the Lord in your marriage, if you're not serving the Lord with your spouse, then you need to understand you're really not experiencing all that God intends for a marriage to be. You're really not experiencing all that God wants a marriage to be. You see, beyond the romance and the intimacy and the sharing a bank account and a home and raising some kids, you know what God really wants us to do in our marriages? He really wants us to serve him in our marriages. 
He really wants us to serve him with our spouse. He wants us to pray with our spouse and read and study the Bible with our spouse and build up and encourage other Christians with our spouse and teach the lost with our spouse and be a positive example for singles in the church of what a godly marriage should be all about with our spouse. Like Priscilla and Aquila, God wants us to serve him with our spouse. When we do that, when we serve Jesus with our spouse, then, and really only then, will we get to experience the greatest blessing that God has designed for marriage. Now, what I just want you to see is while they are not mentioned as much as the Apostle Paul, and while they're not mentioned as much as Peter and James and John and Matthew and Timothy, these two people, Priscilla and Aquila, were a critical part of the Lord's work in the first century. They were a bunch of regular people like us who serve the Lord with all their hearts. And what I just want to close by asking you is, are you serving the Lord with all your heart? If not, why not? Can we help you start doing that today? Is there someone here this morning who needs to obey the gospel for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism? Or is there someone here who needs to be rededicate themselves to the Lord? Is there, if there's anyone here, anyone here, who needs to give their lives to the Lord like Priscilla and Aquila did. We want to aid you in that, and we will right here and right now, as we stand and as we sing. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus.